Hey, you all. Welcome to Active and Connected Families. Today, we're going to be talking about what parents can learn from athletes about managing stress and managing burnout. Parents are still struggling with burnout after the pandemic, and we're feeling it at home and at work. And for those of you like me in your 40s, this burnout is coinciding with a very natural increase in depression that hits most of us around this age. So most people, once they hit this dreaded word of middle age, depression increases a little bit and it remits in about five to 10 years. So because we're experiencing burnout and a natural increase in depression, it is really, really important for us parents to be very proactive about how we manage our stress. And our body is experiencing stress physiologically, even if the stress is emotional or mental. If we're stressed about figuring out how to complete a big task at work, or if you're like me and figuring out how to get a birthday present is like the hardest thing that you've ever done, our bodies are experiencing the stress physically. Our heart rate goes up. We don't think as clearly. We might struggle to fall asleep. So it's really important for us to learn how to manage these physiological symptoms and who better to learn from than elite athletes. That's why on today's podcast, we have Dr. Eric Corum, sports scientist, entrepreneur, and podcast host of The Blueprint. Eric has always been driven by a relentless pursuit of high performance, and he's taking all of his knowledge to help regular people like us parents who are already high achieving just by virtue of the fact that we're keeping our children alive and getting them hopefully to where they need to be. And he's helping us learn how to adapt to stress. Eric is smart, y'all. He knows his data. He weaves it in in a way that helps me learn very easily. And he is completely relatable as he is a father of three himself. You know, I always love to be able to weave in sports as I'm chatting with folks. And if you are like me, you're going to find this information really, really helpful. Even if you don't like sports, the way he talks about how all of our bodies respond to stress and how we can adapt to those physiological changes and be able to learn from them and grow from them is really, really useful. I hope you all enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. Active and Connected Families is a smart, relatable conversation with me, Dr. Amanda Sovic-Johnston, child psychologist, mother of three, and entrepreneur. I've spent my career providing family therapy and supporting high-achieving mothers, and maybe even more hours with my girlfriends trying to figure out how we can all feel more confident in our work and our relationships. And you all, there's one thing I've noticed. We're all struggling in some of the same places, and we're all looking for some down-to-earth advice that we can actually use. So on Active and Connected Families, I'll share some of the insights I've learned, strategies for those daily fights about laundry, some expert perspective on the bigger issues like the mental health crisis, and me chatting with my therapist friends about how we can all feel a little more active and connected in our lives. Throughout, I hope to make you laugh at least once, but I know I'll leave you with something that'll help you become a better parent and maybe even person. Thanks so much for listening. Hi, Eric. Hey, <laughs> it's great to see you. I'm glad, guys. We already, this is take two because my power went out during take one. So we're back with <laughs> two, and we have a much better intro because we're going to be talking about parental burnout, which I think is really, really important right now. And I know you have 
tons of stats around it. So can you talk to us physiologically around what happens with burnout and stress that so many parents are experiencing? Yeah, this is such a great question. I think it's a timely discussion coming out of kind of this pandemic period, right? Um, And I was right down the road from you when that all started. And so, yeah, like right now, I I know the American Psychological Association said that burnout is at an all-time high. And really, if you look at across all professions and then really just in personal life, people are just burning out left and right. Well, Mm -hmm. why is that? Um, First of all, I think we need to get an accurate view of stress to help us understand what the real culprit is here. Um, Stress in and of itself is not the problem. Stress is actually the gateway to growth. So if you want to improve at anything in life, if you want to get physically fit, right, you have to deliberately engage in exercise and that causes different adaptations to occur. If you exercise from a cardiovascular perspective, your heart literally remodels itself. The left ventricle gets bigger and uh, the chamber size, you can pump more blood per beat. Uh, That increases cardiac output, improves longevity, all these things. But that comes from the stress of exercise. If you want to learn a new skill, you have to deliberately engage in learning, which leads to something called neuroplasticity. So it's not acute stress that's the problem. It's this long-term chronic stress Mm -hmm. that uh, when these stress systems turn on to engage in something, um, it's when they don't turn back off that we have a problem. And that's when we have physical and mental problems, you know, mental illness. Like you, you have, um, you can have mental health issues. You can burn out physically, you can get injured. Um, And so, I think there's a really, my friend, Dr. Alex Arbach, he's a director of wellness and development for the Toronto Raptors. He has a really cool phrase. He says, stress is just our brain and our body preparing us to do something effortful. And so moms and dads out there, when you're listening to this, um, I think sometimes when you feel that heightened state of alertness and you feel it coming on, it's okay to reframe the moment. Like, um, this is okay. My, I'm, I'm, I'm about to deal with something difficult and my body's getting me ready to do that. Okay. So I think sometimes that can be very helpful. I mean, I feel that every night at bedtime, right? I'm like, <laughs> it's like 745 and I'm relaxed and I'm like, this is what I'd like to be watching Jeopardy or something <sighs> like that. Yet I have to do something effortful, which is get mm. my six-year-old to brush his teeth. Right. But I understand what you're talking about, that kind of feeling of dread and Mm. your heart starts beating a little bit faster. Y'all, I'm actually serious. I do feel anxious about (laughs) engaging in the bedtime routine because it's hard. And I think parents, especially during the pandemic and also now, we're having more and more moments of that because things Mm. feel hard right now. It's like it's compounding. It's like you used to have this up and down and back to normal. And it's like you go up coming back down and something else taps on top of it. So it's like this, you're continuing climbing uphill. Yes. I wish were a name for that, but, um, let's talk chronic stress. I think that's what it's called. Chronic stress. Stacking on top of itself. So what happens when you experience stress? Let's just talk about that real quick. I think that would help from a biological perspective, give you a little more insight into your body. So I read recently the number one fear in America is public speaking. 
Okay. So if, if you had to get in front of a big audience, you know, you can already start putting yourself, some of you right now might, you start feeling your heart beating a little mm-hmm. faster. Um, there's this branch of your nervous system called the autonomic nervous system. And there's two parts of that, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. Now, the sympathetic branch really has nothing to do with sympathy. Rather, it's a, bun- a bundle of nerves that right, run from your neck to your navel. But it's more like the gas pedal. And when the gas pedal goes down, your heart rate increases, your respiration rate increases, your pupils dilate, your hands get you know, sweaty. Uh, your body and your brain is biased towards action. Now, there is this myth out there that all of this is designed for us to fight or to flee predators. And it's this awful thing that we need to get rid of. No, go back to that in my body preparing me to do something effortful. So I do public speaking and guess what? Sometimes it's really frightening to get up there, but my body is mobilizing resources to get me to do it. Or maybe you have a difficult conversation you're going to have with your spouse Mm -hmm. or colleague or you're a teacher, right? That's the worst. Um, You know, I love teachers, but you know what I'm talking about. There's that, you know, little bit of friction there. Um, That is your body ramping itself up. Okay. We don't want to get stuck with the gas pedal down. We want to be able to take the gas pedal off and put the brake on. That's the parasympathetic side. Um, there's another system called the HPA axis, and it releases these chemicals called glucocorticoids, one of which is cortisol. We've all heard of the stress hormone cortisol, mm-hmm. right? Cortisol is actually a very helpful uh, hormone. It's actually in the morning. You have a natural big pulse of cortisol, which makes you alert during the day. That's really good mm-hmm. is when you have chronically elevated stress, you have chronically elevated cortisol, and that can lead to a whole host of, of, of issues. So the acute stress response, these things are turning on. Okay. What we want to be able to do is, is have these systems turn on, deal with the issue, turn off. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? Here's something interesting too. The brain and the body does not differentiate between physical and psychological stress. These systems just turn off or turn on. That's it. So here's the cool thing. Because it's a generic system, so to speak, there are tools that you can use, which we'll talk about a little bit later, to regulate yourself in the moment when you feel like you're getting stuck over here and you need to dial it back down, okay? But what we want to do is, is we want to build the capacity so that when life does get sticky and it gets difficult, because it's going to get difficult, like we're either heading into a storm or we're heading out of a storm, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, that when it gets really hard, you have the capacity to adapt to that stress without it costing you as much physically and mentally. So let's take a pause here for a second. What are you thinking, Amanda? So I'm honestly, because I'm an athlete, right? I'm all already uh-huh. just like thinking about a sports metaphor, which is mm. for me when I, you know, I still swim competitively, which I'm not ashamed of, but before, which I love by the way, <laughs> right. But before I race my, I don't even remember if it's parasympathetic or sympathetic and I should, yeah. but I get nervous <laughs> right? I get nervous. My heart starts beating fast. And then I swim, I race, I'm doing something hard and then I'm done and I'm exhausted Mm. and I've Mm. released the cortisol. I've done what I've needed to do. 
Also, same way, I finally get my kid to brush his teeth. I'm like, I've done it. Uh I've experienced (laughs) it. It's over. And now I can go watch Better Call Saul, right? (laughs) I love that show. Oh, it's so good, right? I'm like, I'm not watching it right now, but I love it. (laughs) Um, But I think the idea is right now, parents aren't having the opportunity to turn it off. And it's so Mm. simple when we think about it in athletic terms, but Mm. we don't think about it when we think about what we're experiencing as parents. And I think it's important for us to start putting it in those terms because we can learn so much. Yeah. And there is this myth that elite athletes or elite whatever don't feel stress. That is complete baloney. There's a, a cyclist named Sir Chris Hoy. He was the greatest Olympic cyclist of all time, six Olympic gold medals. And when he was talking about what it felt like to race in the Olympic finals, he said it felt like he was going to the gallows. Oh, like he I'm was sure. literally about to be executed. Mm-hmm. I but I want you to, you could understand yeah. that. You get on the blocks, you're you're shaking a little bit. You're like, what's about, why am I doing this? Why do I continually yeah. do this? Absolutely. But what he said next is really interesting. He says, he, he said, but what I would do is, is I would focus on my butt in the seat, my feet in the clips, mm-hmm. my hands gripping the steering wheel. And what he was able to do is he was able to harness his attention because attention is the currency of performance. And let's forget about athletics when you have that difficult thing that happens in life, right? You're, 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 you have a child that's not acting the way that you would like them to. And you're going through those dip. We all we know what we're talking about here. Right. <laughs> and it's a reoccurring thing. And you feel yourself ramping up that continuum. And guess what happens when you start getting more and more and more over on that sympathetic side, you start talking or acting in a way that don't align with your values. Mm-hmm. Can I go ahead? Can I say one thing about this? Put though? a pin in it. Let's go. No, it's not a pin, but yeah. I do this in my practice all the time is anxiety is rooted in the past or the or the future, right? Mm. Anxiety is something that we experienced in the past and we're reliving or it's in the future, something hard that is going to happen. Mm. So we can really calm ourselves down if we get in touch with our senses, if we mm. feel our butt on the seat, if we feel our feet in the clips, our senses are what takes us to the present where the scary things aren't happening. Right. That is exactly, I, I love this. I, I wish we would have met before, man. I, I feel like <laughs> I wish we would have met when, we, when I was in Virginia. I would have just driven out to Charlottesville and hung out. This is mindfulness, mm-hmm. essentially. And there's nothing... Um, mystical about it. This isn't a religious thing. This is a tool that you can use as a parent at work, at home, is you want to train your attention to know where your attention is so you can harness it. And then what you can do is you can act in a way that aligns with your values, the way that you want to be, right? My friend, Dr. Peter Haberl, he says, goals are a destination. Values are about a direction. You know, values are about how you want to be right here, right now. And if like, if you're like, I value empathy or I value compassion or I value excellence in those sticky moments with your kids, it's like, if you can be aware that you're ramping up, then you can go, okay, I know I'm doing this. And now let's talk about a tool you can use, right? So you probably talk about breath work, you know, 
the, mm-hmm. the, the breath is a, the breathing is really interesting because it taps into the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. So if you, you ever heard somebody say, just take a deep breath, like you're freaking out, just take a deep breath. That's like yes. the worst thing you could possibly yes. ever do. Yes. Because vigorous inhalations or long duration inhales actually ramp up the sympathetic system. Mm-hmm. So if you're ever tired and you have to go into a meeting or something, you can do like repetitive repeat inhalations and it'll kind of ramp you up. If you are feeling that 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 stress system turning on, you can perform long duration exhales and there's some really cool things physiologically happen, but mm-hmm. then it actually kind of puts that brake pedal back on mm-hmm. and then you can re- return to your senses. So that's a tool like in the moment that I like to use and you can train it at other times. That's why mindfulness is really cool. You can train using the breath. You can go walking and do a mindfulness walk. I do that in the morning. Like I'll actually just like walk and be like, I actually want to hear what's happening in my environment. And yes. all of a sudden you're like, Oh my gosh, there's so much to the world, even in the suburbs, <laughs> you know, then we tune yes. out. But, um, so that's like the acute stress system, right? Mm-hmm. You're in the moment. It's sticky. Well, how do we prepare our brain and our body for these things that are unforeseen? Wait, can I just interrupt you really quickly? Yeah. I, guys, I'm a crier and I would never have thought that you would have made me cry, talking about like sports stuff, by the way. But I think the idea of using this data to live closer to our values and Mm -hmm. using this information to live closer to our values, because that's why we're doing it. We don't want to make our decisions based in fear, which is Mm -hmm. what can happen so easily, especially if it is just like you know, having to deal with a hard conversation with one of my kids or my partner Mm -hmm. or a teacher, we want to do it aligned with our values. And sometimes, and these are tools that we can use to get Mm -hmm. aligned with our values. I love that. I call this mental fitness. Mm -hmm. And so our, our definition for mental fitness, I'm just going to read it to you is the ability to be consciously present and to process information without bias which empowers you to respond quickly and rationally to changing circumstances through committed actions anchored in your values. And so, yeah, mental fitness is the ability to be consciously present and to process information without bias. So you're present to the moment. And when that information comes in your head, you're, you're, you're thinking about it without bias, right? You can see both sides of this of the of the coin. That's really hard to do, right? Mm-hmm. Can I get an amen on that one? Mm-hmm. And then this empowers you to respond quickly and rationally to changing circumstances through committed action that's anchored in your values. So for instance, you have it. that difficult thing come at you and you're like, instead of just responding, you're like, I'm gonna think okay, let's think about both sides of this. Now I'm going to respond in a way that's aligned with really who I am and what Mm -hmm. represents me. That's a mentally fit person. That's really hard. And it's an ongoing process and journey. (laughs) You know, like we all have great moments. We all have not so great moments. And, you know, the goal is over time, you continue to train this, you become wiser you continue to work through things like mindfulness. You have more control over your thoughts, emotions, and feelings. And then you get to act in a way that's aligned with who you really want to be. 
You know, I always say too, to bring it back to sports, but I say that that's what makes a good athlete Mm. is the ability to kind of have something tough happen and to reorient yourself Mm. more quickly, right? So you sprain your ankle, you can't train for two weeks. Well, how long is that going to derail you? How quickly Mm. are you going to be able to experience something hard and get back in there to reach your goals? And it's the same thing as a parent. Stuff is thrown at us all of the time. And how quickly are we able to try and adapt to live closer to the values that we want to live to? Or however you would say that. But that's no, I, I'm with you. In football, which was a sport that I worked in for a long time, you think of a game as a, like there's you know a 60-minute game and then there's four quarters, right? Mm-hmm. But the best coaches I've ever been around all had a very similar thought process that every single play has a lifespan of its own. Yes. Yes. And it was like execute, process, move forward, do the thing, process it, which I think a lot of us have a really hard time actually taking a a moment to process. And that's why having just little two minute breaks in the day where you actually just sit with your thoughts is really helpful and good, bad, or indifferent, move forward. Mm-hmm. And, and, and no, I think that's true as parents, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, and that's what I tell every single parent that comes into my office is essentially like, yes, maybe you made a mistake yesterday or even five minutes ago. We're all making mistakes all the time. All we can do is learn from it and try to do better next time. That's it. Just learn and, and move forward with that learning kind of in place. I'm with you. That's a hundred. I think we're we're on the exact same page. And I think having that background and competing or trying something hard and deliberately putting ourselves in difficult situations trains that little muscle, right? Mm -hmm. And not to take this on a side jaunt, but I think it is important no matter what age you're at to deliberately engage in difficult things. Yes. To to practice these skills, to test yourself, to... We picked up jujitsu, my family. My wife is actually the best in the family. She's a brown belt, which seven years in. And we decided to do Master World. So that's World Championships for oh, Old People. Oh, so cool. Yeah. And, uh, you know, she was an All-American softball player at Mississippi State. Um, you know, so she was a stud. Like, she was really, really good. Uh, she was named like the all time best Mississippi state team and all stuff, but we go to worlds and we both had never been in that situation before. And we both had kind of an adrenaline dump before Mm -hmm. we did it and you get sick and you feel awful. And then you actually step on the mats, you do it and you realize it's not as bad as I thought it was because somebody's trying to do you physical harm, but you don't know that, you know, those things you can come back to over time. And mm-hmm. so when you face that next hard thing, it's like, wait a second, I've been there. I've done that. I, I dealt with this before. I know I can do this. It's different. I don't know the outcome. And um, actually, I read this once that um, if you, if the outcome of what you're dealing with is uncertain and it's important, you should expect to feel pressure. Yes. So if, it, if it's uncertain and mm-hmm. it's important to you, mm-hmm. that's a normal thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, let's, let's shift for a second. If you don't mind, do you have, you yeah. want to, um, I want to kind of talk about some preemptive big picture things though, that we can do. Um, the scientific literature is pretty clear 
that to build the capacity to adapt to more stress, meaning your system, your biological system has this bigger gas tank, right? So like, if you think about all the stress that you can handle as a gas tank, and then every day you wake up with a certain amount of fuel in that tank, Mm -hmm. okay? Certain things add or take away from that fuel. If you had a great night of sleep the night before, or maybe you didn't have a lot of stress the day before, you got more fuel in the tank. But the size of that tank can increase. And the way that we can do that is there's five things that can increase our capacity to adapt to stress. And that is sleep, exercise, mental fitness, nutrition, and fostering healthy relationships and living in community. Now, there's some nuance to these things. But those five things, the scientific literature is very clear when done at a certain level. Not only do they increase your longevity, they improve your capacity to adapt to stress and um, you're going to be, you'll be able to thrive, you know? So we could take these one by one. I'll just kind of pause here and let you tell me what you want to do with this, but these are the kind of the big five pillars. Eric, you're a genius. I want to hear everything you have to say, (laughs) Um, which means really guys, this is not, I'm not supposed to be plugging his podcast in this moment, but you have a podcast. What's the name of it? It's called the blueprint. Um, The blueprint. Okay. We basically distill like the cutting edge science and all this kind of stuff into really short chunks for busy people, like 10, 15 minutes. It is short chunks. I've listened to it. But the reason I'm saying that in that moment is that Mm. I think I'm getting tidbits all the time, right? Mm. But you've distilled it into the top five. And by the way, this is active and connected families and it's active in our relationships and ourselves. And there's like the mindfulness piece, the mental fitness piece, and also in our communities. And so in many ways... Now, I didn't include sleep in my tagline, right? But in many ways, <laughs> we're essentially talking about the same thing. Yes. I think what would be useful maybe for our listeners is mm. to talk about any of these tools, because I think most of our listeners know, like, I should be getting sleep or I should be eating this. But how mm-hmm. can we actually, I don't know, increase our ability to deal with the stress on the day to day so that it does get turned off or we can prevent burnout? Yeah. So these systems, so my doctoral work was this, I I got really interested in like, okay, I started noticing with elite athletes, whether I was working with an Olympic gold medalist in the sprint events or a football player or a swimmer, it didn't matter. They all had the same signature biological. We could measure these things that they could take on a tremendous amount of physical and psychological stress and they could adapt really quickly. Mm-hmm. Their body returned back to baseline. And we talked about this, I think last time, the allostasis, right? Our yep. body wants to get to this state of homeostasis. It's It wants to achieve stability through change. Your body wants to achieve stability through change. So it's internally adjusting its environment all the time to deal with these inputs and stressors. Um, but every time we take on stress, there's a there's a cost to that stress. Okay. Eating is a stress, you know, exercising is a tremendous stress, Mm -hmm. but as you adapt that stress, the cost becomes lower and lower and lower. So I'll talk about sleep for just a second because my research was how does sleep impact our brain's ability to adapt to stress? And we found that it was wild. I, at the time, the National Sleep Foundation had kind of just put out these sleep guidelines of adults need seven to nine hours of sleep. And we were Mm -hmm. actually able to measure 
what was called direct current potential of the brain, which is like a millivolt. Imagine a battery and you can measure the millivolt potential of the brain. And there's a specific range that's ideal for um, adapting to stress. And seven to nine hours put people in that perfect range. Hmm. And um, here's why. Okay. There's three really big, huge things that are happening during sleep. And I'm sure we're going to find out more because one of these things we just found out in the past decade, but there's restoration that happens during sleep of your, um, your tissues. So growth hormone is released. Mm-hmm. So if you sh- exercise strenuously, there's damage done to the body, which creates an adaptation. Growth hormone is released during sleep, which helps repair tissues. At the end of sleep for men, there's a lot of testosterone released. Also, during later parts of sleep, you actually experience uh, a blocking of what's called the corticospinal pathways, and you are in a state of com- complete paralysis, uh, which allows your tissues, your muscle tissues, to completely relax. It's also during REM stages when you have crazy dreams, so your body's kind of protecting you from thinking you can fly and run around your room. Um, but so you have a restoration of your tissues during sleep, these systems, the the paras- the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system, the sympathetic nervous system shuts down, the HPA axis turns down, and your immune system ramps up. So you can create what's called long-term immunological memory. Um, and then um, there's also something else that happens. So the second thing is you have a detoxification of your brain. So about... 15 years ago, they found that the brain does not have a lymphatic system like the rest of the body. It has something called the glymphatic system. And the glymphatic system has these little, what are called paravascular pathways. And when we sleep, metabolic waste products are flushed out of our brains. Now, the system is only active during sleep. And some of those metabolic waste products are like beta amyloid which are related to Alzheimer's disease and dementia. Oh, interesting. So when you don't get enough sleep, you literally have metabolic crap stuck in your brain. So this is another reason why neuroscientists believe that there's such a rejuvenating feeling from having a good night's sleep. You literally feel like you have a clear head. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're not getting adequate sleep, you are not turning off the stress systems. Your brain is in a constant state of inflammation because it can't get the waste out. Does that make sense? Totally. And that's also why, like, even if people have one drink at night, right, like their sleep Mm. is totally kind of screwed and they can feel even just a little bit the next day. Yeah, it's it. it, You may you, you feel drowsy. You may fall asleep faster, but it significantly fragments your sleep, which can have detrimental impacts on your physical and mental health. Um, sorry for folks out there. The research is becoming really, really clear that consistent consumption of alcohol actually decreases gray and white matter volume in the brain. Recent paper, 400,000 subjects from the UK Biobank. It's wild. Um, and we're talking about consistent consumption. It's just like one drink though, right? That's what they're saying. Just one just, drink a night is create is leading to that. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, 
how do, then the next question is, is like, okay, Eric, so we know that this helps with regenerating my tissues, which helps me re- adapt to stress. Mm-hmm. We know that it flushes all the stuff out of my brain so my brain can recover and adapt. There's also a parts of learning and memory plasticity we could talk about another time, but well, great. How do I get better sleep? <laughs> you know, a couple of the things that like the number one thing that you can do to help improve your sleep it's related to your circadian clock. So circadian means about a day or mm-hmm. 24 hours. And um, this is a naturally entrained rhythm of, of wakefulness and sleep. But there's anchors to your circadian clock. And they're called time givers or zeit givers. That's the German name for it. Of which light, humidity, temperature, food, movement are like the primary ones. The number one is light. Up until about, you know, a hundred years ago or so, we spent most of our time outdoors. Mm-hmm. We were more aligned and what's called entrained to our environment. When we started becoming more domesticated, so to speak, where we're indoors all the time, we've seen a decoupling of our circadian clock And uh, I mentioned this person on our first recording, Bruce McEwen, who is like the giant in neuroendocrinology in his research, like the number one thing that you can do to entrain your circadian clock, which sets you up for adapting to stress is viewing sunlight frequently throughout the day, specifically in the morning. And then as the day goes on, because there's special cells in your eyes called melanopsin cells and what happens is when sunlight interacts with those, specifically in the morning when it's very intense and there's a sp- specific hue of light, there's this thing that sits above the roof of your mouth called their circadian pacemaker. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, it's it's called the suprachiasmatic nucleus, SCN. It then sends a signal to every cell in your body that it's time to be alert and awake by increasing body temperature and spiking cortisol. When you then have frequent exposure to light, natural sunlight, because it's very Mm -hmm. intense throughout Mm -hmm. the day, your brain is able to say, this is where I am in time and space. Mm -hmm. And then when the sun goes down, you need to start dimming the lights in your house because if light is an alerting signal in the morning, what do you think it is in the evening? It's an alerting signal. And what it will do is it will keep you awake by suppressing melatonin production, which is that sleepy hormone. So if you want to get restful and fulfilling sleep and you're feeling like, man, I'm kind of lost right now, as soon as you can in the morning, yes, I understand in places in the United States right now, it's cloudy and cold. You got to just put on your your, your big boy pants, yep. right? And yep. go outside. Yep. And because here's the thing, there's a way to measure the intensity of light. It's called lux. One lux is like one candle in a room. Um, you need about 100,000 lux to entrain your circadian clock. So really bright lights in your in your house, maybe four to 500. Going outside on a very bright morning can be 10 to 20,000 lux. Wow. On a cloudy day, it can be five to 10. So... You don't have to go out for 20 minutes. Like, just go outside while you're having a cup of coffee and put your coat on. Um, if you go for a just walk in the morning. Outside. Yeah. 
So let me ask you a question. So what is the, so sleep is obviously very important, but you seem like a person who knows a lot of stuff. <laughs> what is the number one? Cause we only have time for like one more thing. So what yeah. is the number, what's the other number one thing that people can do to manage their stress? Let's stop it at two. And then we, I, maybe I come back some other time and talk, but let's talk about exercise Great, you can, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about exercise. Um, because I love you and I both love exercising, right? Mm -hmm. There's mm -hmm. something now like you're like, how does physical stress impact mental stress? Like they are finding, because I told you earlier, stress is a generic system, physical or psychological, it turns the same systems on and the same systems off. There's something called cross stressor adaptation, which basically means this when you deliberately go out and exercise, you're training your body to turn those systems on mm -hmm. and turn those systems off. You're also building resiliency across all different types of systems in your body, the cardiovascular system, uh, you're turning on different hormones, um, and you're creating more physical robustness so that you can, cause it can take a physical toll on your body. And so, um, there's also things like when you do aerobic exercise, there's these um, brain-derived growth factors that are released that help mm -hmm. with neuroplasticity. We're now finding that when you do strength training exercises, that oh. those impact your brain through um, molecule. One of them is called irisin. Um, I actually had – I don't know. Do you know who Luis Nicola is? Mm -mm. Oh, you're going to love her. Uh, she's a neurophysiologist and human performance coach. I highly recommend you give her a follow or she, she came mm -hmm. on my show and talked about some of the emerging research on how resistance training impacts your brain health. Oh, great. Yeah. So there's a compounding effect. So how much and what do you need to do? Um, you need to at least hit about 150 to 180 minutes a week of aerobic exercise where your heart rate is high enough to where you can still have a conversation, but it's like, you know, you're having to break up the conversation a little bit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you use a wearable device, um, around 60 to 75% of max heart rate is a good mm -hmm. place to start. That's uh, like kind of like a zone two range. If you want to like, well, how do I figure out my max heart rate? Just really simple way that's not 100% accurate, but close enough. Take 220, subtract your age, and then multiply by. 0.6. So most people are on 120 to 140 is a good range. You could do that through cycling. You could do it through Peloton. You could do it through fast walking. You could do mm -hmm. it through find a way that you enjoy moving. Amanda, you love to swim. But I actually like to lift weights. To be honest with you, I love to lift weights. Like because A, I know that I'm over 35. And if I don't lift weights, I'm going to be losing all my bone density. And go. I truly believe that no one is teaching women how to lift weights at a young age. And mm. so you have to be really proactive about finding ways to lift weights. And I'm going to plug my gym at Progress Fitness in Charlottesville. Let's go. Because, because I love lifting weights, I can mm. chat while I lift weights, right? I can talk to all my friends. They let us turn the music down and we'll talk sometimes. But ultimately, I'm not as tired as I would be if I were doing something cardiovascularly, but I feel exhausted at the end of the day, which then improves my sleep. 100%. And yeah. women, 
we're actually finding, <laughs> you'll know this, uh, not only are you more mentally tough than us guys, but you're physically more resilient. Your work capacity is much higher. Um, and so doing resistance training, you can adapt really, really well to resistance training. Um, it is absolutely critical that you resistance train at least twice a week. Um, when I say resistance training, if you've never done anything, your body weight's going to be enough to start. Mm-hmm. But eventually I'm talking about using something that actually causes mechanical tension and that it's hard to move. Do it safely, but twice a week, compound movements, uh, like you said, bone mineral density, um, it's going to help with uh, retention of lean muscle mass, which is going to prevent sarcopenia as you age. Like one of the biggest predictors of all cause mortality is um, how much muscle you have and your strength. And um, it's the great thing about strength training is it's really easy to get stronger. Oh, totally. You it just, is. And you can feel it. It's so yeah. cool. You can feel it and you get immediate feed, not immediate. You get feedback after like two weeks. It's crazy. And your body, you can literally restructure your body, the way mm-hmm. it looks, the way it feels. And so, um, ladies out there, like, I think you nailed it. Like everybody needs to resistance training, but if you've ever had like a little bit of like, I don't know, give it a shot, go find a qualified practitioner Go find some people that you enjoy being around and get a really good uh, a program and just take it slow. But you will see tremendous changes. But these physical training things have a crossover effect to not only phys- physiological robustness, but there, there's a benefit to the psychological piece mm-hmm. because it's so crazy. You're turning the system on, you're turning it off. You are engaging the stress system on your terms. Yes, yes. And so I think today two big areas is sleep and exercise. And I can come back some other time. We can talk about the other three pillars, but, but the um, other theory on this, and you mm-hmm. should read this book. Cause it's a, it's a great book. It's called burnout by Emily Nagasi and her sister. And it's the same idea, which is essentially specifically, they talk about women and, and the pressure that we feel, whereas like we might go outside and someone's going to cat call us and then we feel pressure and then we walk into work and then we have no way of kind of releasing that stress or releasing that tension. We just have to walk in with a smile on our face. So we carry a lot of stress with us just by living in this world. And because we are not exercising, we are never then turning it off. And exercise is a proactive way to be able to turn it off. Because as women, we're going to experience it. And just like people of color are going to experience it and and men experience it too. I think we do. But the way to proactively turn it off is to proactively exercise so that you have a reason to turn it off. That that exercise ends and then your system kind of gets to that allostatic state. Is that right? Yes. Can I, can I make one tip for you since you're, yes. you're, you're crushing it? When you're done exercising, here's what I want you to try next time. Because you remember the stress system's turned on, right? And a lot of times it's like we go right from the gym, get in the car, go home and whatever. And what we want to do is we want to get that system turning down and coming off so we can adapt faster. So if you have a chance, take three minutes in your car. And I want you to do like a four, eight breath tempo, four mm-hmm. seconds in, eight seconds out. Remember we talked about how the breath is a way to activate the parasympathetic. Yep. So when you're done with your exercise session, whether it's aerobic or strength training, the sympathetic nervous system's turned on, 
Now it's a great time to take three to five minutes and engage with breath work to bring the parasympathetic system back online to help you recover. And you get two for one. You're helping your body recover from acute stress, but you're also practicing a tool that you can recall on later when you feel that acute moment of stress. So you're telling me don't immediately like hop on the phone and chat with whoever will answer my phone call because that's (laughs) usually what happens. (laughs) No, give yourself a moment. Like if you're there, take a moment for yourself. I do it too. I usually like work out in the morning um, as I'll just sit in my car and I'll close my eyes, set the alarm for three minutes and just takes three minutes, just bring myself down. And that's, I, I love, love that. Yeah. But I love that because you're an entrepreneur too. And so sometimes I feel like I don't, right? I don't have the time or I tell myself, but it's helpful to constantly mm. be reminded we should be doing it. Yes. You do have three minutes. I have three minutes. I know <laughs> I do. I'm going to have to stop that phone call a little short. Um, okay, Eric, this was genius. I do want to have you come back. I also like looked, guys. I went on a deep dive after I chatted with Eric last time around his AIM 7. Can mm. you talk about that for a hot second? Because I this is maybe my dream. I'm going to dork out for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. So um, yeah, AIM 7, you know, we're solving a problem that a lo- like 100 million Americans face right now is they got a wearable device like an Apple Watch or a Fitbit or whatever. And they Garmin. just have... Da- Garmin. Garmin, yes. Mm-hmm. You're, I love Garmin, by the way. Mm-hmm. Wonderful device. Um, is they just got all this data. And they're like, okay, what do I do with it? How do I actually use this to help me look, feel, and perform better? And what AIM7 does, it creates personalized daily recommendations for your mind, your body, and your recovery. And then what we do after a week, just like we would do with an elite athlete, is we're going to go, oh, Amanda, Of all these things, here's the one area we think you should focus on. We're going to give you tools. We're going to give you recommendations around that. And then we're going to help you set a small little goal so that you can improve in that area. So let's say it's you're crushing it physically. You're getting good sleep, but you haven't quite put enough in on the mental fitness side. We're going to give you daily recommendations and small little goals. And this was built for busy people. As a matter of fact, Mm -hmm. busy moms Mm -hmm. uh, that are time poor. You care about your health and wellness, but you know what? You don't have two hours to go to wherever and work out every day or you're living in the real world and you've got a certain amount of time and you want to feel better. How do I leverage this technology yep. to do that? That's what we're doing. Capitalize on the moments that you do have, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and if I'm kind of, if I have 45 minutes to work out, I want to make sure it's kind of the best workout for me. Yes. And, and to have someone else tell me that based on if I'm sleeping enough or what I did yesterday, like, I think that because I'm kind of winging it half the time. Yeah. Um, and really, I think I should be recovering more. And by the way, I put in a recovery day today because I just feel tired. But mm-hmm. it would make me feel better if a watch was like, you should recover, you should recover, which I know is crazy. But I, I do think it would be cool to have data to inform that. And that's what we do. So like, For body, we can tell you the precise type, intensity, meaning how hard to go, and duration of exercise that your body is ready to adapt to today. And the recommendations are all based off of the things you love. So if you love to 
do resistance training. We'll provide you like how many sets and reps. And if it's hopping on the elliptical, we'd be like, hey, Amanda, today is a day to go like only 30 minutes and stay in this specific heart rate zone. Or, hey, pump the brakes. You're looking like you're getting a little stressed out. Mm -hmm. Go for a walk and then let's invest some time in your mental health. And here's a tool to use. So it's, it's recommendations. It's just, it's not a bunch of data. It's like, what do I do? Click a button. Aim seven's there to help. Eric, it's funny. Like I went to a running store about six months ago and I said, like, I'm swimming a lot and my Garmin watch isn't giving me the data I want. Like, can you help me figure this out? And he tried to help me like download all these apps to go with my Garmin. I had no idea that I would be (laughs) having this conversation, but I'm so excited. How can other people find this and find you? You go to aim7.com. It's AIM7.com. Um, the app is not in the app store yet. So we are in what's called private beta, which means that, uh, you sign up to get on the wait list. And then what we do is we do these really cool cohorts. We'll bring in like a hundred people together. And in the first month, we actually do four zoom calls with that cohort with me and my team. And we talk about adaptive capacity. We talk about how to improve mental fitness. And we really want to really just want to give people a white glove experience and we're going to be doing this for probably the next four or five months, and then it'll be in the App Store. Um, we have the Apple Watch in, end to end. We'll have Garmin and Aura in here in the next four to five weeks. So, Amanda, you'll, you you have a free AIM7 subscription for life. Uh, I'm excited to get you in. Um, if you want to follow me, I'm on Instagram and Twitter, at Eric Corum, and then uh, the Blueprint Podcast. Like I said, it's... Um, it's this type of stuff in like 10 to 15 minute chunks you can listen to on the way to a workout, right? Or the grocery store or dropping your kids off. I love it. This was so useful. I'm so excited. I can't wait. And I can't wait to share this with my listeners. Thank you so much, Eric. Thank you so much, Amanda. Have a great day. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to like and share the Active and Connected Families podcast if you found this helpful. And if you or someone you love are interested in therapy, you can find out more about our practice at www.virginiafamilytherapy.com. Again, that's www.virginia, all spelled out, therapy.com. Thanks again.